Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, everybody. It's Friday night. I'm going to show you something. This here is what you call soap. And this was what my parents back in the 70s said they would use on my mouth and my three siblings' mouths if we said some of the things I'm about to say to you tonight. That should be enough of a warning to get the kids out of your living room, away from the TV. Because I have to tell you about Vince McMahon of WWE and TKO and Raw fame and all the rest, the big, huge titan of wrestling. That's how you know Vince McMahon, always in a suit or being like bravado in the ring and whoa. And uh, tonight you're going to see him in a different way. And I am not kidding when I say get the kids the hell away from the screen because these text messages that I have to read are the most depraved, foul and disgusting I have ever heard. Almost. No, probably ever in a uh, sex assault, and rape lawsuit, because that's what's happening to Vince McMahon right now. One of his former employees is coming forward, and this lawsuit is filled to the brim with yuck. These are allegations she is making against him and another executive and former wrestler. And uh, that's all I can say. I've given you fair warning, but when I read the text message screen grabs that she alleges are Vince talking to her, uh, forcing her into all sorts of sexual slavery and disgusting, let's just say it involves feces, etc. Okay, so now you know, the warning is there, but I am going to read those text messages in a minute. And it's really hard to write them, and it's going to be hard to read them. The other thing is, um, they said in Alabama that it went off without a hitch. They said that there was nothing out of the ordinary. But I don't think they said everything. When the officials came out and said that Kenneth Eugene Smith's execution was great, it worked like a charm, uh, there were other people who said something else. And tonight we have a national exclusive with his spiritual advisor who was right in there with him till he drew his very last breath. And that man has a whole different description of what went on in that execution chamber. Uh, and it's rough, really rough. So... What the officials didn't want you to know, you're going to know tonight. So stick with me for that exclusive. It's coming up. Then also, it's been like this Sunday, it'll be three weeks since those three Kansas City Chiefs fans were found frozen, dead in the backyard of another fan, a friend's house. And we still don't know, like, why, how, who's to blame. And that is really hard for you and me, but it is brutal for the families. 
And tonight, in another live exclusive, uh, one of those victims' moms is going to join me to talk about what she knows, what she doesn't know, what the cops are telling her, what they're not telling her, and what she thinks might have happened. And then today was a day I've been waiting for for a long time. I know you have too. It was a hearing on the Idaho quadruple murder. We were waiting to find out the big question. When is Brian Koberger going to go to trial? When will that trial start? Because these families are being put through the ringer. It's more important to them than it is to you and me, and even you and I really want to know. But today, we heard, don't set your sights on, on this year. Don't set your sights on this summer. Maybe don't even set your sights on 2025. Holy rhymes with it. Um, and as far as the length of the trial, if you're playing an Airbnb, you better take out a mortgage. It could take three to four months, not six weeks like we were thinking. I'm going to give you the whole specs on what happened in that courtroom today, who was there. And I've got an exclusive interview as well. Um, Steve Gonzalez's lawyer is going to tell me uh, a couple of things about what, what happened today. All right, so to state the obvious, big time, big money, big everything pro wrestling is not your Aunt Linda's book club. The body slams and the crazy names and the even wilder storylines, they, they may all be made up or staged, but the scandals that have rocked that wrestling world for decades, those things, those are really real. And tonight we have what may be the biggest one yet that goes right up to the tippy top. Brand new lawsuit accuses the co-founder and the undisputed kingpin of WWE, Vince McMahon, of sexually assaulting, physically and emotionally abusing and sex trafficking a former employee, even paying her off for silence. And before you think you've heard all this kind of thing before, I will assure you right here and now, you haven't. Hence the soap. Just wait until you hear these text messages that I'm about to read. And like I said, but I'm going to warn you again, get the kids out of the room. And if you're the least bit prudish, get the soap ready and the bleach. The woman at the center of the lawsuit, her name is Janelle Grant. And she used to work for Vince McMahon, but she also worked for another executive there named John Laurinaitis. And if the name sounds familiar to you, it probably should, because he was actually known as Johnny Ace when he was a pro wrestler. But he also became a WWE executive alongside uh, Vince McMahon. And Janelle Grant says that the two of them were involved, both of them were involved in abusing her, even raping her. But she's also suing the company itself, not just those two. She claims that Vince McMahon promised her a job and then all these promotions that followed in exchange for sex. A lot. A lot of sex. And uh, kink doesn't even begin to describe it. Um, She alleges that he also warned her that she'd lose that job if things leaked out. And trust me, the details that are in her lawsuit make R. Kelly seem G-rated. Forcible rape is among the more serious accusations, but it is not the most shocking. The suit actually starts out by describing why Janelle Grant was vulnerable in the first place. It says that she had devoted years to round-the-clock care of her sickly parents and that when they died, she was hurting financially and she was struggling actually to, to find work. McMahon lived in the penthouse of her apartment building, and when she managed to get a meeting with him, she says he promised to help her out. And she says that was back in 2019. 
He set her up in the WWE's legal department, she says. Uh, but the suit goes on to say that only happened after Grant finally gave in to his unwanted sexual advances. She says he made her promise to keep it all a secret and that that is where the grooming began. She says, quote, grooming. And again, grooming is a very polite word, but some nasty details are coming again, so be forewarned. Janelle Grant says her job was actually to pleasure Vince McMahon, and soon it expanded uh, as a job to pleasure others. Sometimes at the very same time. So here we go. Uh, cover your ears, etc. The suit actually claims that... Um, i got to like, watch my wording here. Uh, suit, the suit actually claims in one extremely revolting threesome scenario that McMahon, quote, defecated on Ms. Grant and then, quote, commanded her to continue pleasuring his friend with feces in her hair and running down her back. Then the suit provides alleged text messages from McMahon to Grant. And this one reads in part, in the future, it's going to be so bad that you'll demand to be blanked twice a day and not just with name redacted in a three-way why not let others see that beautiful, voluptuous body and watch you shake uncontrollably when you blank? Then I'll find some friends and we'll tie you up so you're helpless. I'll direct them to have their way any way they want. Who can make you scream the loudest? Maybe I'll just line them up and have them blank in your mouth, your blank, all over your blanks and blank, all at the same time. And it goes on from there. Another text message reads, you need your panties ripped off and the three big black blanks in all three of your blanks at the same time. Way up your blank and way up your blank as far as they'll go, but even farther. And the thickest blank goes down your throat. Um, then the, the, the trafficking allegedly moves from fantasy to reality. And the allegation is that she's being offered up to sweeten a contract deal with an up-and-coming new wrestler. And the text reads, Baby, he's not the only one, name redacted, called me this afternoon, begging to blank you and blank you with his nice and hard blank. And Janelle writes back, Give me another week, baby, and I'll be ready. I'm feeling more like myself. It's not great, but it's getting better. Tell him soon. McMahon allegedly replies, I told him already, baby. And then McMahon allegedly suggests a brand new sex schedule with John Laurinaitis, the other WWE executive that she's alleging is in this suit. The text reads, by the way, Johnny wants Tuesdays, but not this coming one, and the occasional Saturday. But maybe I can shift it to Thursday nights. Johnny would like all three of the above. Another text message says, maybe he wants two guys to join you with him. Holy bleep. You've told him you would do anything with him. So if he surprised you with two others, you would have no alternative than to take them on. Grant alleges that this all went on until January of 2022 when she was fired and coerced into signing an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. In exchange... McMahon reportedly agreed to pay her $3 million, but she says he only paid a fraction of that. 
Um, there is another part of a text message that says, you know, you're going to lose your job if this stuff gets out. That's my paraphrasing, but that's sort of a key to this. McMahon's spokesman now says this, and I quote, this lawsuit is replete with lies, obscene, made-up instances that never occurred, and a vindictive distortion of the truth. Nevertheless, it was announced just a short time ago that Vince McMahon has stepped down as executive chairman and board member of WWE's newly formed company that's called TKO. Uh, if it sounds like deja vu, you're not wrong, because just over a year ago, he stepped down from the WWE. Well, the WWE conducted a year-long investigation of uh, millions of dollars in payouts to women and then ordered him to pay back like 17 plus million dollars to the company. Uh, earlier, just a couple hours ago, I had the opportunity to speak with Janelle Grant's attorney. Her name is Ann Callis. She is a former chief judge of the Illinois Third Judicial Circuit. Here's our conversation. Judge Callis, thank you for agreeing to, to speak with me this evening. The, um, as I read the complaint, the allegations are they're alarming, they are repulsive, they're also extraordinarily egregious, and, and they, they feel like they certainly meet um, the, the criminal threshold. Is there, was there any reason why this was not a criminal case, and is, is the statute of limitations um, passed? Has that ship sailed? I don't believe so, but I represent her in this civil matter and cannot really comment on any criminal matters right now. If you were to characterize this in your, um, you know, long legal profession, I mean, for heaven's sakes, you're, you're, you know, you've reached the status of judge. Uh, where would you place this case and this extraordinary complaint um, on, on the spectrum of things that we've been hearing, certainly since the Me Too movement uh, got started? Well, what happened to her was particularly egregious when it comes to her, the sexual slavery she endured, the devastating um, consequences that happened to her physically and mentally when she was going through this and still is suffering through this with PTSD. Uh, she had suicidal ideation, but I was a criminal felony judge for nine years. So the worst cases actually went to trial and that is murders and sexual assaults. But this is in its own class. This is in its own class of the depravity that she had to endure. Can I ask you about the timing? Why now? Um, because it certainly seems like this, um, the alleged behavior went on for quite some time and started quite some time ago. So why are we now hearing about it? Well, it was a process and it was an approach for, with our legal team and also with Janelle, our client. And it just was an arduous, long, systematic drive to get the best complaint that we possibly could. And that's when it fell to file yesterday. Also, you mentioned some of the details and, and abhorrent facts, but we're going against the WWE, a multi-billion dollar corporation who turned a blind eye to what was happening there to Janelle 
also Vince McMahon, a multi-billionaire, and John Laurinaitis, who's a powerful person in his own right. So the only weapon we actually had was the truth facts that we put in this complaint and the details to try to even the playing field where she felt so powerless before. Can I ask if Janelle knows of others uh, who were in her position and whether others might end up uh, being a part of this suit as witnesses, people in her position who experienced the same things and have the same allegations? No more than the regular public about the NDAs that everyone has heard who has followed this story. So she has no, no more knowledge than that. But our hope is, and her hope is, to by coming out, by stepping forward, by bringing these, this complaint and putting her face to this complaint that other victims of Vince McMahon and the WWE will end up becoming public. And she wants to help them find their voice and get justice. And she thinks and hopes by doing this, she will. So there are some people who are um, described and listed in the complaint, specifically allegations that Vince McMahon showed his phone to about 12 um, technical crew members in a studio and that mm-hmm. they all had a great laugh at, at her expense, um, sort of regaling mm-hmm. in the in the sexual bacchanalia that seemed to you know go on in, in his description. Right. Will those will those men be subpoenaed? Do you know who those men are? And, and are, are they witnesses? Are, they, are, are you able to sort of bring them forth to ask what they know about that alleged incident? Well, our complaint has just been filed. So we're hoping through the discovery process that we will be able to build a case with the all the all the witnesses, everything that would be relevant to put in the strongest case that would go to the jury trial, a jury trial or the trier of fact. Um, but and just quickly, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned oh, it yourself. Ahead. Janelle Grant is yeah. going up against the WWE and, and Vince McMahon. There could be nothing more powerful just in terms of uh, money and uh, influence and, and power, certainly in the, in the entertainment world um, and elsewhere. Is she prepared for the scrutiny that she undoubtedly uh, will will come under in the weeks and months ahead? I think she is. You know, she's been devastated, dehumanized, discarded, and she is really a destroyed person physically and mentally. But she also is incredibly resilient and incredibly brave. And she sustained an ongoing onslaught of sexual deviation from Vince McMahon um, overlooked by the WWE. So she survived that. So I think she can survive some scrutiny. Well, it is um, without question one of the more depraved, you know, series of um, allegations that I've that I've seen in, in yeah. a case like this. Um, I look forward to our continued discussions and certainly look forward to the possibility of hearing from Vince McMahon at some point, too. Um, Judge Ann Callis, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for your time. Yes. And, and we will talk further. All right. Thank you. 
And I want to add another text I'm going to read to you. And I think there's a, it's very important to know that um, the risk that uh, this accuser says was to her profession and that that's why she continued to do this. And the text message that she alleges is from Vince. It says, those compliments will keep coming, baby. Just wait and see. I totally understand and agree being scared of communication and photos. Johnny gets drunk and sloppy and could easily make a mistake that could cost him his job and yours too. Verbal communication is the way to go. So that's sort of a critical aspect uh, to, to all of this in her allegations is that You know, this stuff gets out, you hit the chopping block. And so there you have it. Okay, so we're going to continue to follow it. Meantime, coming up next, this is Every Mother's Nightmare. One moment your son is perfectly healthy and the next moment he is inexplicably dead. But there are three moms living that nightmare tonight. In Kansas City, their sons died in the backyard of a friend's house after watching football. One of those mothers is with me live. It's exclusive. It's next. What are the detectives Telling those families off camera. Next. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It goes without saying that the worst thing that can happen to a parent is to outlive your child. But there are three mothers tonight who are coming to grips with that very nightmare, and yet they are not being told why. Their sons died in the backyard of a friend's house in Kansas City, Missouri, almost three weeks ago, found frozen two days later, and nobody seems to know why or how or who's to blame. And those mothers and all the victims' family members, they want answers, understandably. David Harrington, Ricky Johnson, and Clayton McGinney had all gotten together at Jordan Willis's house after watching the Kansas City Chiefs play on January 7th. And two days later, they were dead in Jordan's backyard. Now, Jordan Willis, who's the host, says he has absolutely no idea what happened. Another guest, who was there earlier that evening, swears that everybody was alive and watching Jeopardy on TV when he left the party around midnight. The police are emphatically saying they don't consider the deaths suspicious, but toxicology reports are due back in the next few weeks should maybe help to clear things up. But that is not good enough for the families who are understandably devastated. Joining me now exclusively is Jennifer Marquez. She is David Harrington's mom. Jennifer, thank you for doing this, and I am so sorry that we're meeting under these circumstances. What have the police told you, if anything? They haven't told me anything. Uh, I spoke with the detective today, and he didn't release any information to me. I asked him a few questions, and I told him some things that I had heard from people that were David's friends. And he seemed interested in some things, but they did not give me any information. And it took me three calls to get anybody to call me back today. Um, And that was the first time I'd spoken with anybody since about a week and a half now. 
What did they tell you about, about so, Jordan Willis? Because they, they've spoken to him. They're not telling us what Jordan Willis has said, but did they say anything to you about what Jordan Willis said? No, they have not said anything about what Jordan has said. The only things that I've heard are what his lawyer has said on the news. I have not heard a single thing from him or from the police about him. The reports I get so, are strictly from news. So the detective never said anything like Jordan's story adds up or anything like that? Well, yet um, two weeks ago, right when I found out, there was a police officer that I spoke to. I think it was the day after I found out what happened. I had called to ask what I was supposed to be doing. And an officer that I spoke to in the morning, when I was talking to him, he said that they were allowed to go in the night that they were called to Jordan's house and that they looked around and that they took Jordan in and they talked to him and that his story added up. And he hesitated for a minute and said, I'm not really allowed to go into very much, but when it's all released, it's going to make sense. And I thought, how could that make sense? It's only, in my perspective, it was only two days after I found out or a day after I found out. So only a couple days after I saw my son. They seem to think there might, that something might make sense, which makes me wonder they, they maybe spotted something when they were in the home that night. Did, he, did the detective who talked to you tell you anything about what he saw inside the home? Like what was on the coffee table? Was there any drug paraphernalia? Anything that made him jump to that whole idea that uh, it will make sense? No, no, he didn't say anything. And it didn't sit well with me what he said. So I called back and talked to, at that time, the main detective that I had been told to talk to. And she somewhat corrected what he said she said that they were still investigating everything. Nothing was determined. That um, she couldn't tell me anything, but that they hadn't stopped with the investigation. And that's pretty much what the detective told me today, is that they were still looking. And with some of the things that I told him that I'd heard, he seemed a little interested that there were things that he had not heard and what I things? feel like what, what sort of things did, I I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say um, did it have to do with yeah, um, anyone sure. else in this did it have to do with any anybody else in in this story meaning there were five men who were together that night. One left at, at midnight, he says. The other was the homeowner, and the three victims included your son. Did the detective suggest there might be anybody else uh, involved in at play? No, it, it was basically all about Jordan, the conversation. And the person that left early, I've spoken with him. And 
we had a discussion, and I know that he's telling the truth, that he left early, and that when he left, my son was alive, and he is torn up. He's devastated. He lost three of his friends that night, and he wishes that he had stayed or could have done something, but when he left, everything was fine, and so that person has nothing to do with what happened. It's between Jordan and the and my son and the two others, Clayton and Ricky. Was and did did, did the detective mention anything about drugs at all? No. He didn't, but he's with the drug force. So, you know, that tells you a little bit there. And I want to um, go ahead. I just I want people to know that whatever comes out, whatever happened, these three men, they had families, they were hardworking, they were community people, they, they loved their lives. They had great lives. They, my son, he was an avid skier. He was a, a coach for baseball team. I mean, he had a full life. He wasn't a person that sat around and wasted his life. This, this should have never happened, not to my son, not to Clayton, not to Ricky. They all deserve for this investigation to dig deep and to find out because I believe Jordan does know and I'm asking Jordan tonight to please come forward and tell the truth because he does know what happened that night. He was there and he's the last one alive. He's the only one that can tell us and give all of our families some peace. And I know he might be scared. I know he is probably sad. And, but he has to know. I'm sorry. He no, has okay. to know it's, that. It's understandable. That we need, we need answers. We need to know. We need to know the truth and that nothing but the truth is going to work. And he, he won't get any rest. He'll, he won't feel good until he tells the truth. And I believe there was a lot that happened that night. And I believe he knows exactly what happened. Jennifer, what do you think happened? What do you think is the cause of the deaths of the three men, including your son, David? I don't know. I mean, everybody's speculating, you know, that it was drugs. It could have been. I don't know. And if it was, then I want to know where it came from because I know that the three guys did not have money to get anything. They were all 
you know, trying to take care of bills and their families. And at that point, they're all, none of them had money for that. And the only person that did was Jordan. So if anything was provided, it would have had to been by him. And that's Jennifer where I Marquez, think I am just, that this may I'm be so going. sorry that... I'm just so sorry that you're going through this. This is just so traumatic. And you're right. There are families involved, people like you who are grieving and are grieving in in a mystery. Um, I I would love to have you come back as we continue to follow the story. We will dig on it. We will we will absolutely dig on this. It will not be left unsolved. And, you know, I wish you the best to not just you, but to your extended family as well as you maneuver through this very difficult process. Thank you for doing this tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, Jennifer makes, Jennifer makes a really good point. Everyone needs to realize there are grieving families. While everyone else is trying to solve a mystery, there is tragedy that they are living every single minute. And we will continue to follow that story. And, and then also there's this. Last night, um, we made history. We the people made history though it is not the kind of history that everybody is proud of. We pulled off the first ever execution of a death row inmate by nitrogen gas. And if the object was merely to end the prisoner's life without the logistical headaches of the lethal injection, then mission accomplished. But somebody who was in the room, right there, beside the condemned inmate, and watched it happen live, has a whole other description of the process. He called it a, quote, horror show, and nothing short of, quote, torture. He was the condemned man's spiritual advisor, and he was right there in the death chamber as the inmate slipped away. He is live, next, exclusively with us. He's got the play-by-play of what the officials did not tell us in a moment. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This time last night, we brought you the breaking news of Kenneth Eugene Smith's final moments on Earth. Smith had spent decades on Alabama's death row for killing Elizabeth Sennett back in 1988. Her friends called her Liz. Smith was part of a murder-for-hire scheme. Liz's husband wanted her dead so he could collect insurance money. And he was a pastor, real man of God. Took his own life, too, before the lawmen could take it. The state tried to execute Kenneth Eugene Smith back in 2022, but the lethal injection didn't work. They couldn't find a vein. And so he was a dead man walking away from the gurney after a really close call. But last night, no such luck. They tried something else entirely, something never before used in capital punishment, nitrogen gas, and it worked. 22 minutes elapsed between the time the gas started flowing into the death mask and the official pronouncement of death. 
He struggled against his restraints a little bit, but there's some involuntary movement and some agonal breathing, so uh, that was all expected. So nothing was out of the ordinary what we were expecting. So today, Alabama secured its place in execution history. Their description of, quote, nothing out of the ordinary actually became sort of textbook achievement, a veritable model for death row chambers everywhere. Everyone in this room knows they are the first team in the country to carry out nitrogen execution. And what occurred last night was textbook. They deserve a great deal of thanks and credit for being willing to be the one to step up first in the country to do so, and I now suspect that many states will follow. That was the uh, Attorney General of Alabama. The thing is, my next guest uses some very different words to describe what he himself witnessed right there beside the inmate. Words like torture and horror show. Reverend Jeff Hood was Kenneth Smith's spiritual advisor and was with him right up until his final breath. And he joins me live right now for his first national interview. Reverend, thank you for being on. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm sorry we're meeting under these circumstances. This, um, this must be very difficult for you. Uh, you had no part in any crimes. You're not, um, you're not involved in this in the way that some of our viewers may, may feel uh, angst and animosity towards um, Kenneth Smith. But can you... Describe for me, sir, those last moments in, in, in as much detail as you can, what you witnessed being right there. Sure. I think it's uh, first and foremost uh, important to say, um, you know, tremendous uh, sadness and grief for the Senate family. Um, you know, Kenny Smith was not an innocent man. This is a situation in which uh, we're talking about someone who uh, murdered an innocent woman for $1,000. I think it's important to begin there. But I will say that Kenny was uh, also much more than that. He was a friend. He was somebody that uh, I had a very close relationship with. We um, were brought into uh, the chamber, close to the chamber. I anointed his head with oil. I was brought back out. I was later uh, brought back in. He had the mask on. It was a firefighter's-looking kind of mask from the top of the head to the chin. It was uh, airtight, sealed around here. Uh, we began to, you know, as the execution sort of proceeded, he and I were kind of talking back and forth, telling him I loved him, told me he loved me, you know, deeply, spiritual, beautiful time. Um, and when the nitrogen began to flow, uh, he, he definitely sort of reacted. You could see his face reacting. And then his face started turning bluer and bluer and bluer. And uh, after minutes, uh, he began to convulse back and forth, back and forth. There were attachments from the back of the mask to the gurney. So every time he uh, proceeded back and forth, the face mask uh, was right here, and he kept hitting his face against the face mask over, over, and over again. And... It was almost like his face was planting firmly against that, that glass or the plastic of the mask. And uh, it was absolutely horrific. Slowly, um, he began to, to spit mucus, uh, perhaps vomit, came out of his mouth. It landed on the, uh, the mask, the plate, and you could see it drizzling down as uh, I was standing there. 
he convulsed for for minutes and minutes and minutes. It was absolutely one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen. Last year, I was uh, I've escorted Kenny is the fifth guy that I've escorted uh, to the execution chamber. Uh, four guys last year. In fact, I was with Casey McWhorter in November, which uh, was the last lethal injection execution in Alabama. And uh, there is no doubt that uh, this was horrific. It was unexpected. Every uh, person in the room was visibly surprised. The uh, Cynthia Stewart Riley, who is the director of male prisons in Alabama, she had on women's dress shoes, and she kept uh, tapping her feet out of nervousness. It was as if there was a tap dancer in the execution chamber. I heard it over and over and over again. There were tears coming down my face, and uh, I just uh, I can't believe in a nation in which uh, we pride ourselves on human rights to have witnessed something like that. And I, I also would like to say that um, when I hear the commissioner and Attorney General Marshall say the things that they said, that this was textbook, that this was normal, and those types of things, these men are lying. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. And furthermore, I think it's important to say that these men are also cowards. They're out here speaking toughly and all of this really intense language about this execution. But in the execution chamber, they were nowhere to be found. They did not do this themselves. They got their underlings to do it. And they sat back, and no matter what, was ha- what would happen, they were going to use the same language. Textbook, normal. In the protocol... They told us that he would be unconscious in seconds. As you have already said, we experienced 22 minutes of heart. Reverend Hood, I'm so thankful that you bore witness as hard as that was for you and what you've been through. I am so sorry that you have had to endure that. No person should. Again, you are not to blame for anything. Uh, This has nothing to do with uh, the crime. Your being there as a reverend is is critical. Can I ask you about your interactions with the Senate family? Because, you know, the victims, the the victims' family, those boys were teenagers. Liz Senate's kids were teenage boys, and they're grown men. Um, What was your reaction like with them? You know, uh, again, I mean, I, I... I think there's a lot of activists, folks who are involved uh, in this campaign against the death penalty out there who are afraid of the truth. I am not afraid of the truth. This was an awful, awful situation. The Senate family, uh, an unbelievable tragedy afflicted them. And I had the the just beautiful, um, I guess, divine guidance uh, or happenstance to uh, interact with one of the Senate boys last night, and um, Michael, and I was able to go up to him, and um, after some words that I guess I'll keep between he and I and God, I was able to give him a hug and embrace. And I can tell you that uh, it was just unbelievably beautiful because after seeing such a dehumanizing moment, to, to feel that humanity could could shine through in such a dark time. 
Um, it, it really felt like uh, maybe there's some hope. I didn't feel any hope in that chamber, but it's um, sort of uh, a beautiful thing that God chose the Senate family to bring hope back into the conversation. I have one other question, and this is, um, this is a, a protocol question, and that is that there is um, always a doctor present during these executions. I can't think of, of an incident where there wasn't one. It's standard. What did you witness last night with the doctor who was present uh, for, for Kenneth Eugene Smith's execution? I think there's two things that are important to, to mention about the doctor. In Alabama, there is not a doctor that comes out and pronounces a time of death. In other states that I've been in, the time of death is pronounced in the chamber, which means Alabama could get away with uh, leaving the person being executed alive to say that they were having some sort of cold water drowning, their uh, breathing had gotten shallow. They could tell everyone that was there, this person is dead and they not be dead, first of all. Second of all, this person who uh, is a physician obviously is violating the Hippocratic Oath and they keep him so secret and they, they don't want anybody to know who this is. They're, and the doctor who participates is terrified that anybody will find out who he is. I came out of the chamber after the execution, and I came face to face with him. He looked absolutely terrified, and he should be, because what he did was evil. What he participated in was evil. And I can't imagine anyone going to a physician for healing that just suffocated someone to death. Reverend Hood, your um, your account is just so overwhelming and, and startling and important. Um, again, I am sorry you've had to go through that multiple times, and I'm sorry that you've lost your friend. Um, I am very thankful that you did bear witness, and I'm thankful that you brought that to the program tonight. Thank you so much, and um, and God Thank you. be with you. Um, I do remember Liz Sennett as well. I hope God is with her and her family as well. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate this. Well, and thank you for your work. It's, I listened to the stories tonight. You have quite the ministry. Well, I appreciate that. Um, the best to you as well and your family. After thank the you. break, we have an update uh, from Idaho. Critical story, a critical development, critical timeline. That's next. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Know that Antenna TV is the network that makes you laugh all day and all night. It's loaded with classic comedies you can't get enough of. Instead of listing the shows, how about I just play you the themes? Where we're moving on now. We're moving on knock on our door. Knock on our door. Hello world, here's a song that we're singing. Then there's more. Then there's more. Without us. 
Yes, we even have Benny Hill. And with bright humility and charm. If you love these themes, you'll love the shows even more. Turn in to Antenna TV and to find Antenna TV, go to antennatv.tv and put in your zip code. Antenna TV. Many Americans have missed regular dental care in the past few years. It's important to see a dentist twice a year to identify any problems early. Taking care of your oral health helps overall health. Brushing at least twice a day with fluoride toothpaste and flossing daily can help prevent oral health problems. For more information, visit hrsa.gov oral health. In the early hours after the tsunami, it was ham radio that was on the air, saving lives. When Florida was ripped by hurricanes, the hams were there. In the critical moments after the attack of 9-11, it was the hams who coordinated emergency messages. When disasters strike, the hams are ready. Ham radio works when other communications don't. To learn how you can become a ham radio operator, call the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, at 1-800-326-3942. You're listening to News Nation. To get America's fastest growing cable news network on your screen, go to joinnn.com. Today alone, 5,370 people in the United States will be diagnosed with cancer. That's why Stand Up to Cancer funds and develops the newest and most promising cancer treatments. Stand Up to Cancer wants to provide you with every opportunity to join in this mission. By donating your home, land, or commercial property, you can help Stand Up to Cancer fund innovative cancer research. Stand Up to Cancer makes the process easy, and it may be tax-deductible. Visit StandUpToCancer.org slash GivePropertyTo to learn more. A message from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. I came to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous overweight and depressed. I was dieting, binging, stealing food, and lying about it for years. For help, call 781-932-6300 or visit foodaddicts.org. I knew I had a weight problem. I didn't know I was addicted to food. The FA program gave me a healthy body. I'm free from obsessing about my weight or food. Call FA 781-932-6300 or visit us on our website at foodaddicts.org. No young person should ever have to worry about having a safe place to sleep at night or whether anyone cares about them. But the reality is one in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For over 50 years, Covenant House has been helping youth in crisis and giving them the support and tools they need to succeed in life. To learn more, go to covenanthouse.org today. Thank you for caring. Moonwalk through the 80s and 90s on Rewind TV. This is a big deal! Your favorite sitcoms from the 80s and 90s are all in one place. Rewind TV. Just go to rewindtv.com and check it out. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Not happening this summer. It may not even happen next summer. And the reason we know that is because there was a hearing today, here it is, 
Steve Gonzalez was there with a member of the Cronodal family and with his lawyer. And uh, they got good news, and that is that the indictment is not being tossed out. Okay, it is going to go to trial. But then the pitched battle over when prosecutors wanted this summer. Defense attorney said, no way in hell can I be ready before next year. And that's hard. That's hard because they have been waiting for answers, just like the rest. It's a gag order, right? I had a chance to speak with Steve Gonzalez's attorney, Shannon Gray, a little earlier on. Take a listen. Shannon, what was the, the process like for Steve Gonzalez and his family today? Um, there was so much on the line. Everyone thought we'd get an answer about a trial date, and we didn't. Well, you know, I try to prep them, um, you know, for the way th things go in this during this process that, you know, we were either going to get a trial date set or we were going to not get a trial date set or the judge was going to take it under consideration, um, which he's done quite often in the past. And so, um, you know, going in today and hearing about all of the issues and then really surprisingly hearing about the request by the defense of a 2025 trial date, which is a long time away, uh, I think was was a big gut punch to the family. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that that really it's been an emotional day because setting in the idea that they might have to wait, you know, uh, another year or more uh, for a trial date is is pretty hard. It's hard. Um, and that trial may actually end up being more like three or four months as opposed to six weeks, which is what prosecutors suggested. So when we do get a date, maybe 2025, maybe late 25, you're going to have to pencil in a long one. I'll see you back here Monday. Cuomo's next. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Friday. We're live. So what do you say? Let's get after it. This question is like paralyzing us because it makes no sense. Three healthy young men don't just freeze to death in a backyard without explanation. OK, were there drugs involved? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.